What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of e-commerce to everyone. On today's episode, I have my good friend Mo uh, Syed. Mo since Syed. Okay, I know Mo for seven, seven, no, six years now. Six, seven years. Six, seven years now. He was actually uh, probably the first person that I met here in the U.S. And still together. Yeah, we're still together. We connected really well. Uh, he's or you are like a brother to me. I don't know if I am to you but I'm working on it man. I can say that and I wanted to bring you today on the podcast because I think that you have a really cool story to share with everyone um, another of those individuals that I admire the way they grew up and how they build their business and also of course we have connections to e-commerce because you are one of my clients and you've seen my journey so there's a little bit of, not a little bit, there's connection there too, but yeah, sure. why don't you tell the audience uh, who you are, what you do, and we'll get this going. Man. All right, so uh, my name is Mohsen Syed, and my name is Mo, um, uh, aka Mo Diamonds on Instagram, and I'm an entire jewelry business, that's what I do, I'm, I'm a jeweler, um, I've invested in a fine amount, we were actually just talking about all the yeah. lovely purchases you've, <laughs> you've made over the time, yeah, and in the how past. people have yeah. grown, and uh likes and tastes have changed but um i'm new to miami um came here last january um, based out of pittsburgh for about 17 18 years building the brand and brought it down to south beach just because one of my affiliates like mm -hmm. yourself and uh, some good family friends that uh have uh, got me down here to rebrand and regrow so i appreciate you having me on the podcast no bro thank you so much for coming so <coughs> tell like, I know your story. I just want the audience to know your story. Like, you started working as a jeweler. You, d you didn't start on the jeweler business. No, like, no, it's no. not a family business. You started on your own. Like, you kind of broke or, yeah, broke that myth that in order for you to get into the jeweler business, you have to come from a family of jewelers. Um, that's pretty much it, you know? Like, yeah, you, 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 and I, you and I talk a lot about it, like, and, and you share with me some of the challenges that you have in your business in terms of, not having yeah. not having access to everything that sure. a, that a family that of jewelers or history of jewelers have access to. So, how did you start? What was your first job? I mean, first job involving this particular career. I think now a career. I mean, it started off as a job. Like I was helping someone do menial work for a Christmas holiday at a, at a kiosk in Midway Mall. Randomly asked me to work for him, and from that day on, I took over his business. Within one month, I started looking at sales, started looking at three new stores, and I was running all four of them from one location. And then I just said, I'm in a situation where my business is all built off of money management. So I started seeing what my niche, niche was in product development, branding, advertising, and I just kind of took it on my own. And after almost 10 years of working with them, I started my own brand. What was, what was the thing that made you scale their business? I mean, brother, you just start seeing holes. Just like in any business, you start like evaluating what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. Okay. Yeah, get closer to the mic. Okay, yeah, you just start evaluating what they're seeing, what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong, and you have customers come in and complain, and of course, if you don't take heed of what they're saying, then you're going to fall into the, or have the same issues time and time again. So once a, a deadline is not met, you start realizing what caused the deadline not to get met. You start realizing why the customer was so... Uh, I'm upset. upset about it, and you, you know you take that personally when it's your business. 
and with it not being my business the way I was involved in it, it made it feel like it was because they were I was so hands-on. They were doing custom things already? Custom, th yeah, brother. They were already doing some custom stuff, but it was just not to any particular level that was that would take us outside of that oh, realm. You know, like, mall jewelry has always had this negative connotation to it where it's just like, oh, you got your stuff from the mall? Well, <laughs> I had to get away from that. Like, even when I was dealing with customers or bringing customers to, to our stand, I'd meet them at restaurants, meet them at clubs, meet them at business uh, conventions, and, and just bring them to the mall and walk them around, almost like I'm just letting, letting them survey the, the jewelry that we have. Okay. And then, of course, like, as business grew, I'd have better connections with wholesalers that let us uh, uh, consign better merchandise. And from that point, it just, you know, like being in the middle of the mall, like I said, the, the stigma behind it was so negative that I had to outshine the bigger stores in this little 10 by 8 space and whatever I was doing was working because I made it more of a concierge service to where customers didn't have to come to the mall anymore. I kind of wanted to keep them away from it just because image yeah the image the negative image that it was already stuck in everybody's head i mean people were putting in rap songs they're putting in music videos making it look so negative that i just had to make sure that we weren't attached to that even though that's what we were our bread and butter came from a kiosk in the middle of a terrible mall we had three four other inland stores one actually in that mall and i remember even just taking orders upstairs, walking customers downstairs, selling the item, going back upstairs to the kiosk where they felt comfortable paying because at the end of the day, like, the relationship is what, what you're building. Like, the sale is going to happen regardless at one point or another, whether it's with one customer or another. But if you can build rapport, build a relationship with somebody, then, of course, like, it's the, the trust is there. And this is a very – this is an old-school business. It's all about a handshake. It's all about the trust, and it's all about producing what they want when they want it. When was the moment that you were like, okay, it's time for me to have my own business or to break down myself? I mean, brother, it, ha it happened probably so many times until it actually happened. Okay. Every two years, it would, a customer would say, oh, Mo, you need to do this on your own. We'll come support you. And I took it, put it in the back of my head, and from that point, it just I'd go back to selling because where the business I was at, like, God bless them, but they would just sell me pipe dreams, you know, like, oh, we're going to make you partner next year, we're going to give you this, we're going to give you that, and it just, it just never happened. So they were stringing me along while I could have potentially already started my business years before. But it took almost, I'd say almost a decade for me to just flat out one day say, I'm not coming back to the mall. Let me ask you this. Before you were selling there, what were you doing? I was uh, doing... Uh, Private finance. Private finance. Yeah. Oh, so, so, so you were in the finance world. I mean, my math has always been good. So okay. even banking, private finance. I was uh, running a clothing store in, in Ohio. So okay. I've always so been in a retail you were, you business. You were doing your own thing before that? No. No, no, bro. He, he was always working for somebody yep. else. And then when you got into the jewelry business, you started seeing your progress. A lot of people started telling you, oh, you should do this on your own. Mm -hmm. And then you decided to make it happen. Yeah. What was the biggest challenge that you found? when you were like, okay, now I'm going to start this on my own? Honestly, brother, every day presents another challenge, like even to this day. Like is I've is, I've is, I've is it hard to find merchandise? Like Because to me, I'm not in that business, but I think that the most difficult thing is to find actually like no, brother, suppliers. I, the one thing about it, like I, I kept very good relations with um, our wholesalers and our suppliers as so I was working. Know. So they, they already, already knew me. They already had a good understanding of who I was. 
And a lot of times with me being the only person at the store every day, seven days a week, when they call, I was answering it. When the check needed to be cleared, I was making the sale and I was sending the money. So the, all the confirmation and affirmation that they were needing coming from you was coming from me. Even the owners, some they didn't like the owners might call one day and they'll be like, oh, well, we'll wait till Mo calls. And it rubbed them the wrong way, of course, because I knew my place because I was the worker. They just didn't like the fact that it was, uh, they weren't getting the respect they were as the owners. But at the same time, like when the conventions hit, I was the one making sure that we were getting the newest merchandise or finding the new supply for stones or repairs of the machines that we needed. Like it wasn't on them because they just saw, they were very one, one track minded. Like as long as the business was running, they were happy with it, but they didn't see me sitting there drawing, me sitting there taking stuff apart, me sitting there trying to put stuff back together so that our overhead would shorten. A lot of times we were spending thousands of dollars a month on repairs and in my head I was like, all right, well, this is another thing that we got to work on. All right, well, how do I learn how to set a stone? How do I learn how to put a chain back together? Now I'm ordering loose stones. I'm ordering lobster claws for change, just small stuff, just so I can figure out that well, we're handing money away when we could be keeping it and making more of it out of it. And they just... They just saw the the wheel spinning. Yeah, they, they just they, they didn't they didn't they really yeah. never understood or saw me sitting there doing it. They would just be like, "Oh, you're wasting time. Help the customer." And I'm in my head. I'm what I'm doing is helping the customer right then and there instead of sending them off. Our he'll, our jeweler will pick it up Tuesday and he'll drop it off Thursday. Come pick it up Friday. And I'm trying to make the money right then and there and put it in our, our pocket right then and there. And they're just not understanding. Are it. they still open today? They closed a month after I left. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. All the locations. All of them? Because the one was funding all of them because I was making all the sales at the kiosk. Okay. So what was happening was they were just using the other stores as like coffee shops. Like they would just go down there and relax. And then wow. I'd bring a customer down because they knew of us here. Because we changed the name to the inland store downstairs and to our uh, store. And we had one in Cleveland. There was one in, I believe that one of the owners opened one in uh, Virginia Beach. When the funding went away from our main location, yeah, they, they didn't have they a business. They couldn't do it. And do also you still talk to them nowadays? I've seen them. I've seen one of them randomly, but I think he still holds a grudge against me. And I, I've got no problem with him. I've got no negative or positive thing to say about him. But at the same, end of the day, it's just like we're all trying to trying to make a yeah. living. But I mean, I wish them the best. There's no no hard feelings. I mean, they were good guys when 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 they gave me the position to the opportunity to make something of myself. I just took it further and just, you know. Yeah, you actually did it. it. You actually exactly, did yeah. It wasn't just a sales position that I, that I, that I was looking for, you know, because I was young. I was 19, 20 years old, just moved to Pittsburgh. And from that point, I had to figure out what I was going to do, if I was going to get a regular job or. So you said you just moved to Pittsburgh. Where are you originally from? Canada. Canada. Born in Canada. Calgary, Alberta. Brother, sister. I've got a little brother. He's actually uh, lives uh, in. Ohio, he's actually relocating right now to California. Okay, and then you, you grew up with your mom and yeah. your dad. Yeah. Okay, where, where are they? Their backgrounds? They're Pakistani. Okay. Yeah. First generation. And they immigrated to Canada. Yeah, initially they moved to Canada. What year was that? Uh, 1980. Okay. I lived there a couple of years, got some stuff situated, then I am born. You, you come from money or? No, 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 not at all. I mean, I, I feel like we, we come from a, a, a middle to class working my parents had whatever their families were back home they were doing okay but as soon as they came you know across the side of the world like none of that means nothing a lot of people brag about 
all my family back home is this, that, and the third, but it's just like nobody cares. It's not paying the bills. We couldn't, they couldn't like tell the landlord or the, the mortgage company, oh, well, my family back home has money and that's not paying the bills. You were born in Canada. I was born in Canada. You were born in Canada. Born in Canada. And then how did, they t- how did your family took, if they took it as some type of way, you get in into the jewelry business? Because again, I, I believe that if I would have told my mom, oh, I'm getting into the jewelry business, she would be like, oh, that's like a dirty world, you know, like just out from the outside. For how sure, it looks for like, sure, you know? brother. I mean, dirty yeah. world. I mean, like uh, ma- uh, mafia. How do you, yeah. It's dealing with a lot of yeah. st- a lot of negative stuff. I mean, there's. I mean, God bless my customers from every walk of life that they come from. But at the end of the day, like we got to be careful, you know. Like it's. I, I can't say that stuff hasn't gone wrong or ha- or won't go wrong in the future. But at the end of the day, it's just like it's it's it's, it's giving me a life. It's giving me a lifestyle, and it's taking care of my family. So. How they felt initially, I don't think they thought anything of it. I feel like they just thought I was doing something, you know. So from that point, with me leaving um, the Midwest in uh, Kentucky and Ohio, where I was going to school at where they live, I moved to Pittsburgh. So I feel like they just thought that I just had uh, fallen into something. Nobody knew, including myself, was. We didn't think like this was gonna be my yeah, you, my, you, my you future. You didn't knew what you were getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this, I'm thinking I'm helping somebody for a month or a couple months, and I'll work. I'll find another job then because I was just kind of lost in it, just trying to find myself. I mean, I was 20 at that point, and okay. it's just one of those situations where fire either lit under your ass and you take advantage of it, or you don't. And I feel like I did the right thing at that point. Okay, that's cool, bro. And I know your business is pretty suc- not pretty successful today. Uh, what did it? What did it got you to take it where it is today? Like it's many years. It's like thirteen, fourteen years. No, brother, it's been um, this will be my nineteenth year. Nineteenth year, okay. And how did you get it to where it is today? How? What? What were the steps that you took to take your business? Like, how did you make it to have clients that are NFL athletes, NBA athletes, uh, hip hop artists, like big business people. Like, how how did you get to that level? I mean, I've always been told, like a close mouth, closed mouth doesn't get fed. So if I'm not out advertising, networking, it would have never happened for me. Like initially, like when I told you, I would go outside from the kiosk and meet with people. Some people I would take to dinner. We'd meet at a, a local lounge or a, a, a restaurant. I mean, uh, uh, one of my best friends, Alex Morton, who's also a client oh, yeah. of yours, his family, he, he was uh, related to uh, one of the Steelers, Charlie Batch. Yeah. So us just being in that circle with me getting invited to that, like just on some humbug stuff, like not for a purpose, you know, conversations get started. You know, one person introduced me to another who introduced me to another. And then, of course, me seeing clients out, feel like a lot of times when they see us out, it gives us a personality. Mm-hmm. We're not just a person standing behind a counter selling stuff. They were they were already buy so NFL NFL players were your first like type of celebrity client. Yeah, yeah. NFL so players. They were they started to buy from you when you were working at the mall. At the mall. Damn, that's big. It is. Because I don't I don't think like if it wouldn't be for your personality, like 
I wouldn't think that they would buy from you. No, like of course Just not. by knowing that you work at the mall. Of course. And, and there was times where customers wanted to meet me at the mall, and it was almost like I was almost standoffish. Like, no, no, don't worry, bro. I'll, I'll bring it to the house, or I'll bring it to the, the facility just to keep them away from that so that they didn't grow some sort of negative uh, thought, like, oh, I'm buying something from them right now. So I just I knew what, I knew what the problem was. I knew how to fix it. And in turn, it just it led me to more and more business because once one person is happy, they tell another yeah, person. Yeah, the other person. And the locker room you, is you a have that place. service, like concierge service, mm. that honestly, until I met you, I've never seen before in the jewelry. Not business. too many people were doing it or still aren't doing it, but now they're starting to. I'm start, starting to see a lot of people follow this, this trend of closed-door meetings where before you just walk into a jewelry store and you get service, and then the next person comes and the next person. It's just like a, an assembly line. The way I run my business, door closed, enjoy yourself, talk about what we need to talk about, and the business gets taken care of. And it's more of a, a personable experience now where you feel like you're involved with what you're getting. I know I'm hands-on with what, what you're getting, so I can control the situation. And then, of course, like just the, the, the end product, you're proud of it because you felt like, oh, well, Mo, I want this line here, and I want this part here, and I want it this way. So a lot of people don't offer that or even – include their customers in that part of the business just because and then sometimes it can get sidetracked and a lot of people don't know what they want so at the end of the day it's more like get the piece done as soon as possible but me I, I like this process like that part intrigues me this part makes this business appreciative like I appreciate what I'm doing because of the fact that I'm, I'm including people in like especially when it comes to engagement rings chains for 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 um, events Finishing products for for um, what did I just last do? Uh, we were just in uh, we were here in Miami for F Floyd's um, birthday party, and I had a couple clients with me as well. Shout out Michael Brockers, who plays for um, Detroit Lions. The hour before the party started, I was finished with his stuff, and of course, that feeling of I get to wear my stuff, yeah, big I party. Yeah, He's going to appreciate that even more because you know I go out of my way for my clients. Mm -hmm. you know, I got to treat everybody with respect and. Not for you guys. I'm not buying and selling my own merchandise yeah, for myself. True, true, true. At what at what age did you open up your first own location? My own location was uh, 2013. And it was in the same place that it is today. No, no. Okay, so I had a, I opened up a small office. Which so was you already when, when you left the mall, you already knew that you wanted to have like this type of concierge service. No, to be honest, well, the concierge service was was already happening. Yeah, okay, but like more but an actual location, it probably took me maybe another year. So I left the mall in 2012, and I was driving around my in my, in my car. And grills <laughs> were uh, big at the time, so I was riding around in my car, fitting people for grills, <laughs> going from house to house to house. So you were grills were the first. That thing. was it. It w that's what really opened. My business because I was already and doing them. Grills were big at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. from like 2000 f 2005 to like 2012, 13, it was huge, and I kind of just brought them to Pittsburgh because not too many people were doing them as many as I was doing them the way other other stores were. Because I mean, a lot of times Pittsburgh, it's a Midwest city, but it's very closed off with fashion. So if you can follow the fashion trends in your jewelry, then you can make your jewelry hot. Grills were just big at that time. Songs were coming out about it. And if you didn't capitalize on it, then, of course, you're not going to make the money. And I just milked it until I couldn't do it anymore. I still do them, but not like it was then. But I was riding around the old car, fitting people for grills. I bought another car just off grills. 
opened my office up just off of grills and then it just turned into me starting to carry small merchandise and put a little bit of money back into my business and I started from there. I started from a car on my own. Damn, that's it. And then the fir the first location then was that office that you were yeah, talking Pittsburgh. about. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and then you moved to the one that you have now. No, no, no. So there was an I ha I opened up another office which I still have in Pittsburgh, okay. still downtown. Yeah, it's a private location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that one was your that's second one. Yeah, that's my and second. Now one. you have the Miami location. Now I have a Miami location. God, God bless it. So. Looking forward to this. By man. the way, your office in Miami is fucking badass. Thank you, brother. Like, in the design I, district. I don't know. I don't know the one in Pittsburgh, but in Miami, like he nailed it with that. So if anybody wants anything in Miami, they should go to see it to the office just by the experience. It's yeah, fucking awesome. You guys are gonna buy something just based off of my floor. Yeah, no, it's, floor it's, it's really <laughs> like I didn't know that you have good taste, bro. Being honest with you, I know that you do nice things, but I didn't know that you have good taste. Um, Keep you around. Bro, one of the things that I, I don't know if you're okay with sharing, but I want you to share because I think it's pretty, uh, pretty empowering is how you take care of the people in your life, people that your mom, your brother, you help him. You, yeah, you, you help him. Yeah, like for you, sure. Yeah, I just uh, helped him a couple days ago. So, like, of course, at the beginning of the journey, it was not easy, mm. but you started taking care of your mom at a pretty young age. Um, and how is that, like, it was, was, ah, sorry, I had a glitch on my English. Was that the driver for you to pursue this journey so hard? Because I feel like you got an opportunity, uh, but it was not exactly an opportunity from the beginning. Like, you said it, like, you thought that you were going to be there just for a couple months helping these people out. And then it's like just your hard work started paying off and you made that opportunity your own. And we were actually talking about not the same thing, but talking about opportunities uh, on our last episode. I don't know when this is going to come out, but it was one of our last episodes that all it take for Saladin was one opportunity. Okay. And he knew what that opportunity look, looked like, which was his art. But for you, you clearly didn't know until you actually materialized that opportunity. So when was the moment, again, in, in your head, like did you taking care of having to take care of your family was a driver for that? Of course, of course. I mean, um, you know, not coming from a, a well-off family, you know, in our, our, our culture, like we take care of our parents. It's like in, in lot of cultures but with my parents relationship and just seeing the direction they were going I just felt like it was uh, up to me to make sure that everything was fine and the amount of work that I'm doing too close okay yeah um, the amount of work that I'm doing of course has a there's a, re a reason behind it you know so I'm not just taking care of one household I'm taking care of several households taking care of the business, trying to help a business partner out when he can, but taking care of my mother's household. My father just came back in that country. I'm going to take care of his stuff. This was just a conversation I had two hours ago. So now I'm just seeing what's getting added to my my plate. And at the end of the day, like, that's the driving factor. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to that. Me or him? Him? Have it closer? Right here? Okay. We can edit this? Yeah, there you go, man. Is it better? Okay. 
You have to start all over again. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day. <laughs> a long time ago. No, brother, I mean, family is a motivation for any new person. Because you feel like there's a, a short place in, 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 in growth, then you got to fix it. If your parents are struggling, you got to help them. If your family's not doing good, you have to help them. And that's just, I wasn't raised that way, but at the same time, I just felt like it was a, a necessity because of the person that I became. I, I, I kind of groomed myself to be the man. Were you ambitious as a young kid? Like, sure. you always liked nice things? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was telling myself at the age 15, like, my uncle's going to sell me his drop-top SL500. I'm going to have it in six months. He's going to sell it to me for nine grand. I had no money. I had no license. We didn't even talk to that part of the family. <laughs> but I was going to get this car for whatever reason. And it's just like I always told myself, I'm going to have this. I'm going to have that. It? No, I got my GP sitting outside. Okay, no, <laughs> yeah. okay. at, at one point, like, I, well, I got my SL 10 years ago. So that was that milestone that I reached. And I got the one I wanted, you know, because I just saw it at one point. It's not like I ever sat in it. I never drove it. But it was just something that stuck with me for years for growth to happen, like, I got to work harder. And the stuff that I want in life, material, personal, whatever, physical things that I want in life, like, I've, I've been able to, thank God, accomplish them, and there's many more things that I, that I can do. Where do you think do. your work ethic comes from? Oh, my mom. She's a workhorse. My father is a smart person. He likes to figure stuff out, but my mother just kind of gets to Your dad was around you when you were growing up? For the most part, yeah, yeah, for the most part. He, he was in and out sometimes, but part like he was the more technical person and my mother was a workforce she'd go she my mother was working for a, an oil company as soon as she came to uh, Canada and got a position there because she's smart you know and she's a, a very uh, social person she was running a, cl uh, a furniture store for almost 20 years she's a social person but the sales and that drive and that little hustle like I kind of saw that in my mother and just watching her do that while I was growing up just kind of instilled it in me of course, like, math is very simple. Like, you, you can add something up, you can make something more out of it. So I just kind of took that and just applied it to, to life. Like, I didn't know I'd be doing it in jewelry. I didn't know what I'd be doing it in. But it just turned into one Christmas holiday. Uh, one month turned into almost two decades. Absolutely. What was your first big profile client? Big profile client. Like, really big profile client? Now we can start with, like, big I mean, f I mean... Steelers, really. They're, Steelers. They're, the one, they're the ones who kind of put me in position to grow. Like, if it was from one person to two to two to four, and honestly, it was as, as silly as it sounds, grills would open that door as well because a lot of the boys are from, from the South. They want grills. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I started doing earrings, little small little trinket things just to show that I had a little bit of a range. Even though I had none, I had no range whatsoever leaving that mall because I had no merchandise. Mm -hmm. I just kind of went out on my own and made these things happen based off of word of mouth. And Charlie was co-signing me, and Alex was co-signing me. They was like, all right, well, we'll right. give them a chance. Okay. And then from that point, I was able to show them a little more. And this is even when I was still working with the kiosk, but I had a lot of customers coming in from out of town. You know, word of mouth plays a big role in this business. If one person is happy, they'll tell another person. If one person's upset, they'll tell 50. Mm -hmm. So I had to make sure that it was everybody, the, the, was, happy. everybody was happy. Regardless, if we made a little bit less, I'm okay with that. You made nothing. I'm okay with that. As long as the people are happy and the next sale can, we can make money off the next sale. But, yeah, really the Steelers, they really opened up doors for me, brother. Like, it was to the point where I did stuff with 
people who never saw the field to Hall of Famers. Like I did something with uh, Troy Polamalu and his wife. I did uh, I did the gift that she gave him for his uh, retirement and when he got into the Hall of Fame. So it, it definitely no not the Hall of Fame. I said when he retired it was for his birthday gift and it was a very hard watch to find that he wanted. He wanted a rare Panerai. Why Panerai? And I got it to him in three days. She was oh, having nice. problems with someone else. And they were giving the runaround. And I got it to him like the day they needed it, for the price they needed it at. And I, 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 I've, I've solidified a customer. Now that, that you talk about watches, I love watches <laughs> myself. Uh, do you think that watches is one of the biggest challenges that you have? Not, not now, but that you had starting with, especially with all like for sure. For sure. how to get them not being like an official uh watch store and stuff like that is, is one of the biggest challenges. Yeah, brother, I mean, you got to realize, like, this type of business in jewelry, there's money to be made off of everything. There's the labor, the material, the cost, the final product. With watches, a plane, let's say, for, for instance, to start out with, it's, a, it's an item. It's a high-ticket item because nobody wants cheap stuff. The amount of money that I can make off it is the same amount of money someone else can make off it. So we're c- all trying to fight for that few hundred dollars or a few thousand bucks that can get added to these items where there's no labor, so you can't make money on the back end. There's no, uh, there's nothing attached to the watch other than the value of the watch. So the person who has the most money can get them inventory as much as they want to show. So again, like that was another issue that I was having was sourcing watches just because again, like everybody wants cash up front. There's no borrowing anymore like years ago like decades ago people yeah, would hand us watch it, yeah. yeah on consignment keep it in your inventory you don't sell it all right send it back now once it's the, the deal is done the deal is done they don't want to see that watch no more just because they know the price is going back up but I- even with that being said like if they know the price is going back up they can get it back for cheaper so why not but i mean everybody's business model is different talking about watches and we are an investment company. The podcast is related about business, investing. Do you think that watches are a good investment? In 2022, right now? In 2022 and forever, like, do you think that there is, is a good place to put your money? It can be. It just depends on what model you pick. Okay. Certain brands, excuse me, hold way better value than others. I mean, the, the, the standard Rolexes, APs, Pateks, Longins, but then there's several other brands that do way better but don't have the value at the end of the day. Like Gucci's Merlin, a great watch. It might be a million dollars. You can get back 10, 20%. You might get lucky just because the value of the watch on the market is not the value of the watch once it's sitting in the retail store. The gray market for watches is up as you know over the past several years just because of covid and shutting down factories and the supply the supply chain has been but now they're going back down now they're going back down some models are they going to stop stabilize or they're going to stable see for in, 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 in our side of the business stabilize means going back to retail for the other side of the market where people are trying to invest in the money we don't know there's no way to tell so we've gotten word that ap is not going to be watches to the public the way they've normally been for another two years and the way they're going to be structuring their business supposedly is they're going to be getting into the, into the gray market as well because so they're the seeing the how gray, much money the gray market price is going to be their retail price something like it they're going to be able to but that then makes the watch 
not an investable item there. Because now you're like literally holding. It's all here. You're not even going to hold value because if you want to resell, like it's like selling a used item. Like it's going to. It's all based off what the next person wants. You know, like if if I buy this bottle of water, you know the world needs water. The world doesn't need watches. They need water. So this can sell for as little as ninety nine cents. It can go as high as six dollars. All based off of the demographic and the, the area you're in, where your clientele's are. So you buy this at airport, seven bucks. You buy this at a gas station, 99 cents. So it's really just depending on who's looking at the item at the end of the day. Like a watch like this, for instance, we were just having a conversation about it. The stainless steel AP. Retail, a few years ago, was under $17,000. Now, it's gone up four or five-fold. So to say where it's going to stop and for people to put money into it, yeah, it's a great flip business as of right now. But to say over the next two to ten years, I couldn't tell you where it's going to go. It's great that you gave me that that example because that's literally my thought process when it comes to watches. Like I think that, again, through social media, you know, there's a bunch of uh, pages that post like prices of the watches going up and getting up in value and stuff like that. But me having had several watches and a few that I still hold, but me is like I've never made money on a watch. Like now, if I go to to the few that I have, I know that if I sell them, they will have to pay me more. For sure. But it's just temporary, you know. And I believe that even, not even when the market coo- cools down, because they will, everything goes down. I will I will be at a lost position because I bought them in the middle of the pandemic, and I know that I do I don't know I believe that those prices are not going to stay or remain. Like, you just give me that example. That watch two, three years ago was under 20 grand. And now it's selling, like, plain, I think, like, 80 plus. Mm. And I don't think that that's a real value for the watch. So no, whoever, no, no, no. Whoever, whoever is buying the watch now is just buying it because they want the watch. They are not buying it as an investment. Like, I think that that... The reason I ask you the, the investment question is not because I like I want to debate if it's an investment or not. I honestly think that I don't know how some people see it as an investment. Like yeah. it, it could be an investment for the people that are in the business, like yourself, but for somebody like me, how is that an investment? I mean, well, that's why I started off asking, well, was 2022 and forward or t- 2019 pre-COVID? Because the... the Talk of in watches yeah, being investment. Watches, whoever bought watches before COVID, they are all making money. For sure, for sure, for sure. Like they're going to keep making money. Yeah, yeah. They, that value is not going to come back. You have inflation. You have all these things. It's not yeah, going yeah, to. Yeah, every, everything. To yeah, he, whatever you spend on that watch, whether you got it for retail, a little bit less than retail, even a little bit more than retail. Yeah. 2017, 2019, you've doubled and tripled yeah, your money. Good. There's no no getting away from that. You can't go below that. But for the guys that have invested their money recently on the the high points of these these items i mean i mean there's stuff that's in my inventory right now that i've bought just recently and i know that all right well now i'm not making anything can i sell it for what i got it for well we got to see in the next few weeks because the prices of these watches changes every few weeks every couple days something drives up and we talk about this in private but how do you think like these big uh, watch shops not to give any names or to mention anybody but how do you think that they actually hold up their business? 
I know that they're getting sales. They still sell the product because if not, you shut down. But how do you run a business with that concern behind you? You know, I think that it's a very, uh, the word is not savage, but it's a very, yeah, like savage business. In the t- even for you, like having to have those thoughts in the back of your head is like, fuck, yeah, I invested a hundred grand in watches. Well, now probably you, you can, you have to take the S out. A <laughs> <laughs> hundred grand and now I, I, I can't sell it for profit. I have to move it as fast as I can for the money that I paid for to get my money back. How do you think that that's going to affect your industry? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you another example. Um, when I got into this business, gold was 276,000 ounce. Like I remember looking at an ounce and that, that number kind of stuck with me. When gold hit $1,000 an ounce, we thought the world was going to end. When gold hit $1,500 an ounce, we didn't know what was going on. Gold went up to almost $2,100 an ounce, and we have to find a way to function still. Customers are either going to buy it or they're not. So even though this is a, a luxury business, people we still have continual business that's either going to drive this market up or down. As far as the watches are concerned, it's the same thing. Just like if, if something... Uh, at an Amazon store, triples in price. Well, are you going to sell it or are you not going to sell it? Mm-hmm. Someone's going to want it. You just have to make sure that you're available to when, when, it's, when, when, the, when the need needs to be met, and from that point, you'll, you'll make your sale. If you're, if you're worried about that, then you don't need to be in business. So you don't worry about that at all? You don't I, think I, about I, that? That's my least of my worries. I need to finish my orders. If, if the price has to be higher, then I just need to find a, a client that has a, a bigger budget, and it's up to me to do that else there's no point in them i could have just stayed in the mall okay that's good well as long as i know you you've always invested back into your business for sure when you met me we started having conversations you decided to invest with me um any other investments that you have um i had gotten to the stocks a little bit but for the most part this type of business that i'm in it's very you have to be very focused it's not something that I mean, look how long it took me to invest with you, like, because I didn't feel comfortable just yet. Like, oh, I could do this with this money. I could do this with this. Let me give me a few more months. It turned into a few uh, a year before I even said, all right, go go ahead and pull the trigger. And a lot of times, it's certain instances of certain events that occur where it makes you have to do that. And by the grace of God, I mean, I, I pulled the trigger right when I needed to because it happened right before COVID. Nobody thought this was gonna happen, but at the same time, like there was a reason. I invested in you because you had already invested in me. So it was like a no-brainer at the end of the day. Like It was supporting family, and you knew what you were talking about, or else it, it, this could have just ended with jewelry sales. But, of course, it didn't. One of the things that I want to touch briefly, because, again, I don't want to mention anybody or anything from the past, is one of the things that I talk in, in my, in we talk here in the first couple episodes was about like the whole whole evolution of my industry in such a short time because you mentioned COVID in your industry COVID in my industry had a huge impact too on the way companies like ours uh, or companies like mine back then uh, were doing things and you got affected by that and then you got the opportunity or not the opportunity out of our friendship you transitioned to this new uh, cycle with me and what what are like anybody that wants to get into the e-commerce space? What are the things that now you know 
that you will not fall for uh, no matter what anybody tells you? I mean, in any business, communication is key. I mean, um, if I didn't feel like I could talk to you um, or someone on your team or someone wasn't going to get back to me soon enough, I mean, that's going to build confidence. That's going to reassure me that, hey, I, I spent my money with the right people, with the right people. And at, at the time, you know, like, with me running my own business, like, this wasn't my focus. This was something that I was doing to create a second stream of income. So with our relationship, not just that, but just me seeing how you guys were, how you were handling yourself, like, it, it left confidence in me to, like, all right, well, I can leave my money with him, and I don't need to worry about it. I mean, this has been, what, over two years now, and I can't complain. Like, there's not a single complaint. I could come up with other than us not going to dinner when, when you say it and you want to go to sleep at 6 o'clock or 7 <laughs> o'clock p.m. So, Well, you have a very tough <laughs> schedule. Bro. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, my schedule is based on my guy clients. doesn't sleep. Yeah, my c- clients don't sleep. Well, I'm up there with them. So at the end of the day, it's what can you do? That's crazy, bro. Um, NFTs. Are you going to get into NFTs? Did you get into NFTs? Um, do you have any projects of your own? Because I've seen a lot of I don't know if I told you this, but I've seen a lot of like people in your space getting trying to get into the NFT business like before the big brands, you know, like trying to develop their own NFT watches, their own NFT jewelry, their own NFT something. Uh, do you have anything in mind to do or not really? Yeah, honestly, no, bro. I'm, 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 I got one check, one lot of silver. It's <laughs> about it, brother. Like for me to even go out of my realm and to your world was, was was a stretch for me. If, uh, again, like if a, a close friend of mine like yourself said, hey, you know, put your money into this, I'm going to take your word for it, and hopefully both of us don't do bad. But, I mean, just recently, like I told you, you know, friend at Tootsie's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shout out Tootsie's and Meat Hall. Um, I don't go there, by the way. <laughs> yeah, just myself. I don't go there. Just myself. Um, uh, he had uh, introduced uh, introduced me to an artist that I was telling you about, yes. and uh, he was saying that he's turning his NFTs into into something. But as far as like me going out looking for stuff, like I've kind of stayed away from that whole realm of cryptocurrency and NFTs. You, you just got hit by the crypto crash or not? No, no. Actually, no. I take it back. I did. We were investing in. Uh, we were doing options trading, and Dogecoin hit, and everybody pulled out of the big companies. All of our stocks went to shit. <laughs> So we lost maybe what, 150,000 in a day. And that was just a, a definite hurt piece because I was thinking about starting a whole other com- what was company. What, that was the reason why you pulled out of crypto at all? Like no, because no, no, brother, we weren't involved in crypto. Well, you were like shorting. Um, we, were, we, were, we were doing options on like the bigger companies. Oh, okay. The regular okay. stuff. People pulled money out of those stocks, to put into dropped the value, yeah, I got and then it turned into like, oh, well, we just lost our money because we had our money. So it, it's an interesting world. I just haven't, you know, sat down and, and, and tried to figure out the whole s- scheme of that. But, I mean, at one point, I'm sure I'll take the time to read up on it and, and get um, informed. But it's never really intrigued me. Now, I've seen a lot of people make a lot of money off of it. I've seen a lot of people go dead broke off of it as well. So it's just like, it's like a casino. Like, it, it you're betting a, against it, the house. There's casino. no value. It it's not 100%. something that where this is a Bitcoin and it's sitting right here and I can yeah. take it. Where I can take an ounce of gold and I can see it, I can grab it and put it in my pocket. You that, know? That's something that I tell all the time. Like even with my team, I was talking today with them. 
because sometimes they they like to talk about NFTs and crypto and stock market and stuff like that. And I literally told them everyone, and I'd say to the camera too, bro, like everybody that is getting into that space because of it's high past percent. history of other people, yeah. like what they don't understand is that it's only 1% of those stories that we hear and we only hear the ones that are really big. We don't hear the ones that go really bad. For sure. And the difference is that Nobody, it's like winning the lottery. It's like you said it. Like, if somebody that works a regular job that is trying to build their life gets really big on crypto, they just won the lottery. Like, it's not that it's something to keep going back at it. And one of the things, like, I, I talk a lot about is like how hard work is getting like sidetracked. You know, like, people are not even talking about hard work. That's why I ask you to come on because you build your business out of hard work. You know, like you saw, an you didn't even knew about that you had an opportunity. You just took it. You realized what you were doing it. And then you literally just went all in into that. And mm -hmm. you just said it to me, like if it wasn't because you met me and we started discussing about what I do, you wouldn't even have invested in another thing oh, other than your not. business. Yeah, of course. You know? It would have just so been another. Those are the things that, bro, it's like crazy how, how things are going, you know, and, and that's something that, I want to provide like enough content and value about is like nobody's going to achieve nothing without the hard work being done. You know, sure. Not, nothing is free in life. Like, and if you get it free, say like you hit it big, most likely you're going to lose it or spend it really fast too. Yeah, I heard someone say that um, fast money comes with slow problems. So at the end of the day. It might yeah, that's actually it a really it good. Might it might hit really you very quote. hard, and you might. On the top of the world, but I'm going to give you a pretty cool clip about that. What you okay. said because <laughs> that shit was pretty cool. Bro. So his eyes light up like, yeah, oh bro, shit, it's true, it's true. Yeah, I mean, and I think it goes in any industry. You make money too fast, you can lose it. Not lose the money, but you can lose yourself. You start feeling like you're ahead of yourself. You yeah, can you start feel feeling big-headed. You feel that you get to a place that you are at a place that you haven't earned. You know, mm -hmm. I think I I I like to I read this quote from Andy Frisella that says people need to stop talking about making money. Money is made by the federal government on a machine and they are the only ones making money. Everybody else earns money. Yeah. And when you don't earn the money, when the money just comes to you because it happens, you know, some people like have opportunities that money just comes to them and God bless them. But when you get to that, then you don't know what to do with it because you didn't earn it. You didn't pay the price to get it. No, no, I was yeah, going yeah, to no, no, I mean, even, even in situations where people are working for the money, I mean, a, a lot of people that aren't used to money sometimes don't know how to react after they have it. You know, like I can even say personally, like sometimes you just start getting a little lax. You start not paying attention as much. True. You start thinking stuff is too easy because yeah, money true. is coming in quick. And I mean, even in my business, like one, one client plays for one team can introduce you to another team and that's that could be an uh, endless yeah, amount endless of, amount of, of, of capital coming in but at the end of the day like something has to keep you grounded so that you know like this could be gone tomorrow nothing is promised what is the thing that keeps you grounded these miami rent prices are high as shit <laughs> i gotta keep working miami can't keep you grounded bro. <laughs> yeah, miami, no, no, miami no. can be the no at the end of the day grounded. bro that's either instilled in you or not like you you just have to have the mentality that like Tomorrow is a promise. Stuff can go completely wrong. You can lose everything, and it's up to you to either 
get back on track and, and, and fix it or, you know, fall over and, and die in the weeds. But it's just, I, I feel like uh, through whatever life experiences I've, I've dealt with, it's just kept me pushing, you know, because, again, like I've got other people that I've got to answer to as far as my mother, why this is not happening, why that isn't happening. I don't ever want to embarrass her, make her feel bad, or make her think that her son couldn't do something because I've, I've been the answer for the majority of, people's problems in my life for the past decade. So I, I've kind of taken on that responsibility where there is no, all right, I can't do this. It, it doesn't It doesn't work for me. What was the biggest purchase that somebody did with you? Um, at once or? Yeah, at once. At one time? Probably Le'Veon Bell. Thought it was somebody else. Yeah, but it, it was, was somebody else. <laughs> it, was it was Le'Veon. Yeah, it was Le'Veon. Maybe you Bell. can't mention him. Maybe you didn't say him because you can't mention him. <laughs> no, I mean, f- for the most, I mean, brother, every dollar spent with me is appreciated. No, I know Whether that. Whether it's the most that. or not, but this I mean, is just for fun. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, AD has dropped a, yeah. uh, a hell I, of a bag. <laughs> it might have been before these these, these no, ball no, players. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> Cut, cut this part out. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, a lot of ball. There's been several ball players that have really um, moved my career, let's just put it that way, to another level because of what they've spent, the doors they've opened, the positions they put me in. I mean, shout out Aaron Donald, of course. He's uh, been a blessing to me, not only as a, a very good friend of mine and someone I can just you cut up to. You friendship with them, too. For like sure, that, yeah. Because the type you, you handle your business, like, I think that for, for, for NFL players and athletes in general in the U.S., since everybody wants to take advantage of them, somebody giving them their time and not making them feel like you're rushing just to get their money. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, brother, like, we're all men, women. Like, there's respect has to be earned and respect has to be given. So if all I'm worried about is being that salesperson, then shit, it's a lot of stuff could have stopped a long time ago. But you never know. I mean, a lot of people that are just salespeople know how to just run for sales, but, I mean person I am like the man I am I'm that's not my go-to that's not my the first thing I'm worried about like uh, I've got to create a brand as well like I could have done business with a lot of people and there was a lot of people that I had the opportunities to do business with and I did do business with and it, it sullied it made shit look bad oh no, no. I, I was thinking about a story that we can't share with yeah you. for sure well there's yeah <laughs> we I'm still after you too like <laughs> he, I don't think he will listen yeah no no ask, yeah for know. sure he'll, he'll probably make it about me like I did it wrong or something I don't know man God bless him but I mean at the end of the day brother like just your, your, your handshake and what comes out of your mouth is everything just like what was the biggest lesson that you learned in your business life life yeah it can all go it can all go real quick keep pay attention to everything make think before you start doing stuff because a lot of times with us being so busy and caught up with life we don't think that all right well maybe i should slow down and do this first and then go do something because it can all end in in a heartbeat and uh, i've learned that a few times so it's just uh when you start thinking stuff is too good or you get lax end of the day it it could it could turn around and bite you in the that's crazy. I, I was actually talking to Vlad about that today uh, because things are going really well for us. And it's just like having those conversations. And at one point, I kind of cut it because he was like, bro, let's stop talking about how good things are going. 
and let's just keep focusing on the work, you know, sure. because when you start talking too much about, it's just your ego, you know, at the end of the day, it's the ego talking, and then you start thinking that everything goes good, and then you start relaxing. You come sure. to the office, and then you sit on the sofa more than you should mm -hmm. sit on the sofa. You start watching more TV on the office. You start leaving early. You start doing all these things because you think things are good, but then that's when life tells you, hey, motherfucker, yeah, not sit, every back day. Yeah, sit back down, back do down. the fucking work, and uh, remember what you're trying to build and where you're trying to go, and remember that you're human too. You know, things, like you said it perfect, things can go, things can disappear from one day to the other, so you can't take one, like, you can't take life for granted. Mm. Um, last couple of questions, bro. I really appreciate you coming over today. I know that you need to catch a flight too. Mm. Uh, what was the last thing that you ordered on Amazon? What's the last thing I ordered on Amazon? I don't yeah. know. You guys sold it for me. No, so no, I don't no. Know you ordered for oh, Amazon. That you sold. <laughs> you ordered on Amazon. thing you order on Amazon and also what do you use Amazon the most for? I don't. You don't use you don't You use guys use it for me. That's you all. You don't I use Amazon? I've got a, I paid someone a, a business. I paid someone no, a fee no, no, to run my business. That's fine. You're selling. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You, you buying. Yeah, yeah, I bought a uh an acupuncture mat. Uh that you can lay on it and it pokes you in the back. No that bounce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I bought uh, a money counter camera iPhone stabilizer. So you use it more for business or for yeah, business? yeah, I don't buy any I mean other than like the, the stuff to, yeah the acupuncture <laughs> stuff, yeah. This is not like a part no, of my service. Business too. Yeah, people that's not for my <laughs> service. Yeah. People come to the to Yeah, the people be stressed out. They they straight get stressed out when they come in my office, man. I gotta relax them somehow. A little bit of liquor, a little acupuncture. You need to add yeah, that because you don't have the liquor part. You don't have it. I'm no, I'm, I, I, I you don't I, drink but no, I'm no. not a drinker either but yeah, I well, we need a nice little bar for the ambiance. But anyway, thank you so much for coming, bro. No, I really man, appreciate, appreciate you, brother. It was an honor Love to you, man. have you. Uh, where people can find you? Um, you guys can find me at uh, Mo Diamonds on Instagram, uh, Facebook, websites, MoDiamonds.com. And um, you know, locations are Pittsburgh, uh, 500 Grant Street in the BNY Mellon building, and downtown across from Eddie V's, and of course, Miami uh, Design District uh, opening soon. By the way, your engagement rings. I'm the guy. Like, he didn't talk about that, but <laughs> honestly, like, his work is fucking awesome. And the part that he didn't talk about because we didn't have too much time to touch base on that is that as a man, you can go to his office and talk about, like, the reason behind it. For what sure. Is, like, you can design the full experience. And yeah. that's something that, again, going back to the service, I don't think that many people do. And I can relate to that because that's what we're trying to do. Not trying. That's what we're doing here too in our business. Yeah, yeah sure. I'm very, like I think that to sum up everything, I think that our industries have both like that kind of uh, assumption of something like, eh, you know, I don't know if I can trust this person. Well, for sure, at the end of the day. Add, and when you add the service value to it, and you know the human value to it, and you show people that they're not just a number, that you're actually there f with them through the journey. I think that that's what counts, and that's what makes you not a commodity when you talk about your business. I mean, at the end of the day, brother, people are very impressionable. Um, 
a lot of people will lose interest if you're just a person standing. I mean, at the end of the day, when I was riding around in my car, I was just a random car, and I had to go to office. You got to start your business. You got this beautiful office, this whole facility. It's not just an office now. So when people come here, it's a uh, it's it's already solidifying what they either thought or didn't think, or they were thinking something negative, and then they were like, "Oh wait, I, I can't think of something negative because the place is too beautiful." Mm-hmm. And that's how I built my office. You walk in, you might be questioning some stuff, but at the end of the day, as soon as you walk in, you know the fear is gone, mm-hmm. and that's the whole goal of that. Because uh, we're building these brands, the brand has to look just as good as we do. Mm-hmm. So you know, we can be dri- riding around in nice cars, and if your your, your facility doesn't look like deserve that nice car or then if you, or if you don't have a facility exactly exactly everything every everything needs to go back in the business in the business, in the business of Peggy yeah that's true that's true but anyway thank you guys and till the next one Amen.